and welcome to the Austin Forum Upload, where we explore pervasive and emerging technologies and their influence and impact on society. In this series, we upload direct to you information, opinions, and insights from thought leaders, experts, and creatives from Austin and beyond. They'll share their perspectives through conversations, interviews, debates, discussion, and more. I'm Jay. I'm John. And I'm Barbary. And we co-produce the Upload for the Austin Forum on Technology and Society. I'm Jay Boisseau, the Executive Director of the Austin Forum, and I'll be your host for this episode. I'm very pleased to have my co-producer as one of today's guests, John Lockman. Hey, good to be here. And another co-worker and good friend of mine, Luke Wilson, joining today. Hi, Jay. So we're very happy to have this podcast uh, focus on our favorite topic right now, which is artificial intelligence or AI, machine learning, deep learning. We're going to talk about it today, but it's not going to be a tutorial on AI. We're really going to talk about what's the facts, what are the fictions and fears, and what are the fantasies people have of it, what does the future likely entail, and then we'll close with a few little fun examples of AI. So with that, why don't we start a little bit, actually, with John, why don't you and uh, Luke each tell a little bit about yourself and your interest in AI. Sure. So i um, kind of been doing our AI for almost 20 years now, it seems like. Actually, back in my undergraduate, I worked with Luke on some genetic algorithms, and we did a lot of studies on neural networks and things like that. So we've been kind of involved in artificial intelligence for quite a long time now. Yeah, it's uh, it's come a long way. You know, we uh, we started working in this field when you were pretty much embarrassed to say you worked in artificial <laughs> intelligence, and you said you worked in something else like metaheuristics, or I do really complex searches, um, or I do scheduling, or something like that. But you never said AI because I was like, oh, well, you're, you're one of those, you know, kooks working on that stuff like the old perceptrons and stuff like that. Well, now it's cool to be an AI. And all, th- all three of us are. Our day jobs are at Dell. We also do some AI things outside of that as well. So it's kind of got some style now to go out and say, yeah, I'm doing some, I do AI. It's good to be in vogue. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> maybe, we'll, maybe we'll stay in vogue for a while, I hope. So, and we'll talk about that in, that in this episode. So again, thank you both for being here. All right. So well, let's jump into it. Um, this is not going to be a tutorial on AI, but it's meant for the everyday person to understand what it is and how it's useful and what the realities and myths are. So why don't we start with what is it in a, in a general working definition? How would you describe to your friends what artificial intelligence is. Luke, do you want to start? So I think the way I would describe AI is the the pursuit of mimicking the way people think. Now, whether that's for good or bad is completely up to interpretation. But we're, the goal is to be able to mimic the way that people reason about the world in a computer. John, you want to? Yeah, I mean, I think that that, that classifies it really well. We're really trying to make a mirror of our own brains. We're trying to understand what it is about our own nature that makes us recognize images or language or what makes us creative. We're trying to recreate that thing that we see in nature that we don't really understand yet. So I'll I'll build on that a little bit. I use that working definition a lot with my friends too. But it's not that we're trying to limit ourselves by what the human brain can do. We're trying to mimic the ways it works. If it can go beyond it on a task, which we've now seen some AI no. tests go way beyond what humans can do on specific tasks, sure. that's fine too. So I like the, the discussion of mimicking the way the brain works, but not limited by its capabilities. Of course, it's, as I'm sure you'll discuss, it's nowhere near as generally capable as any human brain. Yeah, I don't think we're we're at the point 
yet or we're going to be in the near future where the computers can take over and and we're limited to being you know batteries in a pod or anything like that uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that later in the episode but yeah <laughs> but yeah i mean I, for very limited use cases it, it can outperform humans for very specific tasks that's not to say that a human who looked at millions of images of something couldn't become equally as good at a task we just can't do it in the span of our lifetimes yeah, I was really thinking more like the case of the Go champion, the World Go champion being beaten by the AlphaGo um, program that DeepMind developed and Google acquired DeepMind as an extreme example of where an AI has gone beyond even the best human in the world. Of course, that AI can't then do other things that that same human could do, but it could do one thing even better. So we, we, we're going to see more and more examples of this where AIs can do things almost as well as humans, but cheaper or faster, or maybe even as well as humans and cheaper and faster, or sometimes better and doesn't matter if it's cheaper or faster, if it's even better. Right. So where do you think we're going to see AI technology start to equal or surpass human intelligence in ways that we experience in our lives? I think the first part that people are really dialing into is in medical imaging. There's just limitations that humans have of how many images you can see, what you can recognize on it, how well you can recognize images at three in the morning because you're working the overnight shift. Um, you know, the computers don't get tired. They can see exactly what you see if you train them in the correct way. And, you know, as we're going to keep pointing out that AI right now is works really great on very targeted objectives like medical imaging, maybe finding cancer or searching for tumors, that sort of thing in, in the radiology space. That's where we see, where I see right now, kind of the first touch of AI coming in and actually surpassing what humans cap are capable of. Yeah, I think one of the real advantages of AI that we don't talk about is, is the replicability. And I think this is the way that we're going to see it start to reshape the way we live our lives. We cannot train one radiologist and then replicate that radiologist a million times. We can train one AI to do the job of that radiologist and make infinite copies of it, and put it everywhere in the world, in the richest parts of the world, in the poorest parts of the world, in the, the most extreme uh, environmental conditions. We can put it anywhere we need it, regardless of the task it, it learns. And I think that's going to be the, the, f the way that we start to see AI in the world, not, not as a presence, but as a ubiquitous part of the way we do things, because it'll be everywhere, because we can replicate it over and over and over again. That's a, that's a really important point. And of course, people see that in their daily lives right now in limited ways. They may not even know it's AI, but for example, the facial recognition to unlock your smartphone or the voice assistance that all of the major tech companies seem to have these days that are processing your language in real time and trying to interpret not just the language, but what the intent was and give mm -hmm. you meaningful results back. So we're starting to see some of that ubiquity I think we've all been frustrated at some point or another by a Siri or Google Assistant or Alexa not returning the right result, but uh, it seems to get better and better pretty pretty quickly. Well, it does. And I mean, then it scales out everywhere, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, in the beginning right now, we're looking at things getting rapidly better, but we're spending an enormous amount of money on humans training these models. We're seeing them rapidly get better and improve over time, but there's a huge investment in human side of that to actually make all that get better. Yeah. Right? It's not... Uh, Which is in the news a lot right now because it course. turns out that all the people doing the natural language queries have humans listening to it and interpreting it to train the model so that it can. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a 
Well, you have you have people listening to conversations so that they can verify that the the AI systems are uh, making the proper interpretations. You have these cottage industries of people who sit around and just tag images, yeah. um, you know, so that you can train image classification models. So, I mean, there's an enormous um, amount of human capital in making artificial intelligence. There's nothing truly artificial about it. It's all human power. That is a great point, and something our listeners may not realize is that these models that seem intelligent are all developed by humans and trained by human curation of data in most cases. And so humans play a huge role in creating these artificial... They don't just emerge from nowhere. Humans develop the algorithms. Humans probably develop the devices that are collecting the data. And in many cases, humans are tagging the images to train the model or classifying the language that was spoken to train the model or driving the vehicle at some point to train the model on what to do. So, yeah, we still play a huge role in training it. But then we release it into the wild, and it looks it looks wonderful. Yeah. Well, most of the time, I know I know I have situations where I try and give my house commands at two o'clock in the morning, turn on the lights, and it doesn't understand what I'm saying, and it starts returning search results to me <laughs> instead of turning the lights on. So, so it's not perfect yet, um, and uh, but it's getting better. It's not even perfect at the basic things yet, but it's, it's get, but yeah. it's getting better. I, I would say I would say that if you wanted to to give it a score in terms of comparing it to the age of a person. I would say it's about as competent as a two to a three-year-old in most cases. Oh, I, would, I would have been more generous. I would have said a 10-year-old, but okay. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. My, 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 uh, my, my uh, toddler can go around and turn on the lights on command, and they usually don't misinterpret what I'm saying. So <laughs> they, don't, they don't typically return a Google search result. No, they don't, they yeah, don't tell me true. about the most recent song I, I searched for or anything like that. Well, one of the big things that everybody is excited about seeing AI have a – transformational impact on society is autonomous vehicles. And so we read about these all the time. And yet none of us are actually riding in one as a matter of practice. It seems like it's that almost like Zeno's paradox. We keep getting closer to it without getting there. What is the the barrier that we have to cross before autonomous vehicles have enough intelligence to process the environments and make all the right decisions? So I think the problem with autonomy and, and having the system make decisions as opposed to just making classifications or translations or something like that is we don't really know how we make decisions. We don't know how that works. And that's what's informing the way we design these systems. We have an understanding at a very primitive level of how we, how we look at images. We have a very primitive understanding of how we understand sound. So we can do those tasks really well. But when it comes to how we make a decision, we don't really know how to do that. And the techniques we're using in AI right now, like reinforcement learning, are basically trying to teach AI to do these really complex things with a combination of carrot and stick. It's like, you did the right thing, I'm going to give you a cookie. Oh, you did the wrong thing, I'm going to ground you. It's like trying to teach a golden retriever to drive a truck. You know, it, I don't know that that's going to be the way it works long term, because I don't know that that's the way that the human mind works to make those decisions. But as we get more understanding about the way we do things, we can impart that to the computer and the computer will be able to make better decisions. Yeah, I, I remember seeing um, the CEO for NVIDIA talk about, really boast about how well their AI was driving cars. And he showed a video of one month it, it doing really well on easy roads, but struggling with cones struggling with soft shoulders in the road, etc. Mm -hmm. And then he showed a video of a month later, 3,000 miles later, how much better it was doing. 
And that was everybody oohed and awed and clapped because that is truly impressive for a computational driving system. Of course, for a human driving system, the first time if I hit the cone, you'd hit me and say, Jay, don't hit the cone, stupid. And then I'd never hit the cones again. I don't exactly. need 3,000 right. miles and a bunch of examples to, to learn that. Right. Well, and beyond the rules and getting it to drive well and make those decisions based on a lot of environmental factors, I think there's still a big philosophical question about who's programming these models and who's deciding what decisions are being made. Unfortunately, there's going to come up an event where there's going to be a pedestrian in the road and the vehicle is going to have to make a decision of does it save the driver who's in the vehicle or does it save the person, the pedestrian who's in the street? Or if it's given the choice between an elderly pedestrian and a group of children, does it have to choose between those and what, what makes that decision? I think that's still a big fear in kind of the adoption of a full autonomous driving is we don't really know the answers to those questions yet. Yeah, our justice system, which is our best attempt to implement what we hope is fairness in the world, has laws and assigns blame and et cetera. And until you can fully map that to an autonomous vehicle system, it seems like that's probably not going to be the, the rule, just the exception. So... I certainly see the possibility of exceptions happening with like small scale delivery vehicles that aren't moving fast on a in a small region. I saw in the paper the other day, College Campus is going to explore very small scale little autonomous vehicles to deliver, I don't know, books or pizzas or something like that. But nothing fatal. <laughs> nothing small crawler bots. <laughs> crawler bots and mm -hmm. things. And autonomy seems much less dangerous if the momentum and kinetic energy aren't enough to do significant damage. But and moving vehicles that weigh 3,000 pounds, moving 65 miles per hour, I think we have a lot of legal issues and ethical issues to resolve yep. as well as technical. I think uh, I think there's a combination of things. So I think you're, there's definitely a lot of legal issues, especially in really dynamic environments like uh, urban core sorts of situations where you have pedestrians uh, crossing the street and things like that. On things like uh, uh, expressways and, and interstate highways and things like that, I think there's less concern. Um, the rules are pretty simple. You don't hit the car in front of you. You stay in your lane. And we can already do that just with sensors. You know, we can do that with radar adaptive cruise control without having to employ a particular AI model to do some of the, the follow controls. Um, we have lane keeping assist that's basically an image classification problem looking for the lines in the road and automatically veering your steering wheel one way or another. We know Tesla is using the autopilot system, which is basically saying in constrained environments on straight highways, we believe the system is good enough that you can let go of the steering wheel. When that system fails, and it's failed a couple of times pretty spectacularly for Tesla, um, it, it, the question of who holds the liability comes into play. But I think in addition to the kind of the small crawler bots you're going to see on university campuses and in urban cores, I think there will be a lot of autonomous driving on highways that comes up in the, in the next few years. That's good. So let's talk a little, we talked a little bit about the facts in AI. Let's talk a little about the fantasies before we get into the fears. So where do you see things going in 5, 10, 20 years? What are some of the things that you really look forward to that are within the realm of possibility, even likelihood, for AI being game changers? I think more natural, I think better natural language understanding, I think is going to be the thing that I am really looking forward to in the next 5 to 10 years. That ability to have a full conversation with the computer, because um, I don't know about anyone else. Maybe I'm an exception in, in the, the nerd circle, but I actually am okay talking, uh, even to a computer. 
I, I don't have to type on a keyboard or touch a touch screen or anything like that. I would like to have that conversation. I, I'm looking forward to the world of Star Trek, you know, where I can just talk to the computer. The computer can do what I ask. It can, in some cases, predict what I want to do um, and, and be able to understand what I, I'm, I'm hoping to accomplish and help me accomplish that. Uh, because sometimes I have my hands full and I can't type. And, and using my voice is, is a good way to interact with a system, yeah, especially you, if it's ubiquitous. You two have worked with me long enough to know that I can't type. So I am uh, definitely in favor of the conversational interface. John? Yeah, I think, I think the conversational piece is a, is, a, is a part of what I see in my fantastic future is really a big step in elder care. Our growing population is old and there's not a lot of younger folks to take care of them. So... Along with the language uh, processing, I think uh, the ability to better control robotics inside of inside of the systems that we already live in. So, like not thinking about the idea of having to retool everybody's homes so that it will fit this helper bot into your home, but the ability to really build systems that can understand the architecture that we already live in, that can exist in your home if it has stairs or or something weird that it can still get around your home, that it can still assist you, make you meals, maybe even be your companion. Who knows? So you two have both, in a re- different but related way, hinted at androids, basically, the, at, at something that you can converse with, that can do things for you and take care of you. Do you think that's likely in five years, 10 years, 20 years? I don't think you're going to see realistic humanoid machines in the next five to 10 years. I know there's, there's been a lot of work in this space, but I don't think humans are very good at understanding that things are not human. So I don't think we're going to get to the point where we can have this seamless interaction with a machine in the same way we would have an interaction with human. Um, But I think that machines through conversation with us, through natural language processing, through text to speech, speech to text, conversational systems um, are going to be able to provide a little bit of a slightly more um, capabilities than they do now. So you're not looking for data in Star Trek. You're looking more at uh, Scarlett Johansson in the movie Her. Yeah, probably. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah maybe more helper bot, less full Android. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm personally not even worried about having a mobile capability. I mean, it's not about putting, making a mobile machine that can follow in a, me around and talk to me. I'm okay if it's my house. That's what I was getting at. Yeah, you know, your, um, as long as it and exists and as long can converse and share information and answer. Right. Yeah. But I think outside of that twenty, you know, ten to twenty year window, the 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 humanoid form that that machine that's more like man is going to become more important because in the end, why do we study AI? We study AI to study ourselves. We want to know how we work, and in the end, what we want to produce is something like us, and that's what we're going to end up doing, you know, a century from now. That sounds a little bit egotistical or narcissistic, but I, uh, that sounds also very human. So I think I agree with what you're saying. John, do you have any uh, fantas- any additional fantasies for AI that you expect to come true in your lifetime? Short term, right now, we're looking at, you know, in the entertainment space, better AI and gaming. Um, there's always been a, a big gripe in, in the gaming world that, yeah, I mean, you can make a player and you can either make a perfect player who you'll never beat or you can make a player who's just too easy to beat. And I think that's going to, in the next five to ten years, we're going to see a lot better AI in gaming. I think we'll see better uh, AI applications in entertainment as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, right now we're talking about, you know, 
you know, image classification or, or conversation. But I mean, in film itself, and we could be using things like uh, face swaps to put whoever we want in to whatever film we ever saw, or um, I mean, there's a lot of fantastic possibilities, I think, just in the just in the current realm of what we have, um, we just need more people to tinker around with it. I, I think that's actually going to be a huge thing in 10 years. It's completely uh, com- computer graphics generated actors that use AI techniques to generate as realistic actors as possible. And we've already seen some very limited examples of that movie so far. And I think that technology, mm-hmm. we've, we've now seen AIs that can create symphonies that sounded like they were created by people or paint pictures that seem like they were created by people. They failed on the poetry so far. I've yet to see a good AI-generated poem. And they didn't do too well on the screenplay test. But in images and sounds, they seem to be doing pretty good. And I, th- I think it's not long before they can generate a realistic uh, image, uh, human, yeah. in a movie. I mean, I know it was a joke in Futurama, but I mean, yeah, I don't think I don't think we're too far away from director bot one and producer bot two and writer bot one, two, and four, you know, who participated in the yeah. latest blockbuster hit. Uh, that that's not too far away. I think not. Yeah. So what about um, fears? People have a lot of fears about AI. People like us are pretty optimistic, but there's, you know, there's uh, even some of the luminaries in the tech field have expressed certain concerns about this. How about each of you give me one fear that you have and why you think it will or won't come to pass? Sure. So the I think one fear that I've thought about a lot about lately is the deep fake application. So the concept of using face swap and, you know, voice modulation to generate a video that looks like somebody is doing whatever you want them to do. Like I said, there's a fun side of that. I love seeing Nick Cage in all of my favorite (laughs) movies, but, you know, you can see how this could be used in a sort of more nefarious way. Um, well, Nick Cage, the real guy's already in all of my favorite movies, but I hear what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Uh, I mean, even here in the state of Texas, they just passed a law to prevent people from making deep fakes about political figures when there's an election. So it's a fear of right now because it's something we see, we're already seeing it today. You know, you're, you're able to take a um, really not that much. I think we're looking at something like 24 hours of recorded uh, dialogue to generate uh, you know, to generate a voice of whoever you want. Um, not that much video to to actually make a fake video of somebody. So it's kind of a scary place right now where you can really make something that looks very real to, to a lot of people, even if it didn't happen. Well, this goes along with my, you know, forward-looking fantasy of completely artificially generated characters. We can actually essentially do that by training it as something to look like something somebody else that happens to be real, but exactly. it's not. So we're kind of part of the way there. Luke, what, what are your uh, fears? Well, I think with, with the way we develop AI now, I don't really have a lot of fears. But like I said, you know, I think we're kind of at the two to three-year-old level in terms of complexity. But I think my overall fear about AI is, is also the same as my overall goal. If we succeed, if we can build an artificial intelligence that is able to mimic us, to be just like us, we're not perfect things. I think the scariest thing that we could build is ourselves. Also you know, the coolest thing. That's sobering and interesting thought. Um, I think my biggest fear is, and not that I, I think we shouldn't do it, but is the military applications. We are always advancing military technology. Every country on earth has a right to protect itself. Uh, 
right, to preserve its sovereignty, etc. So when we call these things defense, it seems peaceful and a good pursuit, etc. But, you know, history has shown that when party A has a significant capability advantage over party B, things become unstable. And I do worry about the possibility of game-changing AI replacing the relatively slow reaction times of humans and the relatively slow processing ability of a scenario with many independent elements in it of humans with something that can play many moves into the future and figure out in short order what's the right approach to take and how to achieve victory, and then presenting a human decision maker with that path. I guess I guess the war game scenario is my fear. I don't I don't think it will come to pass because most of the AI research is open source and open community and shared. My hope is that the leading countries will stay on a relatively level playing field as they did with other military technologies. But I guess that's the one fear I have that I hope we can protect ourselves against. What do you guys think about that? Well, hopefully it's like Whopper and it realizes that there's no way to win the game. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> I actually thought that maybe was a great example of AI in which you could see it running through scenarios and never winning and finally deciding the best solution was not to play. I, I love the I love the imagery of it at the end when when it's inferring the results of war based on the results of playing tic-tac-toe over and over and over again. Yeah, and for anyone who's not aware of this, we may have some audience listeners who weren't born when war games came out, but still a great great movie and a great example of this. So I'm going to close real quickly here, and we'll come back and revisit this and dive deeper into AI in future episodes. But I want to ask you what your favorite fun thing is you've seen in AI recently. It doesn't have to be meaningful, practical, useful, just your favorite fun thing. Well, whereas, whereas John is, is fearful of deepfakes, I think the deepfake theater um, thing that, that has been kind of cropping up is, is really interesting. You know, you can see all sorts of different movies with different actors' faces and voices superimposed on it. Um, I think right now, as long as it's not being used for nefarious purposes, it's, it's a great little parlor trick. And it's <laughs> it's one of the the only reasons I ever get on YouTube. So. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the deep fakes are funny. I mean, the, the Nick Offerman uh, is everybody on Full House is <laughs> – it's funny. You love that stuff. What's it called? Full House of Mustaches. Uh, Full House of Mustaches. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, try to explain that concept to a farmer from the 1800s. I mean, <laughs> we've really gone very meta. Uh, <laughs> I, I really like the concept of kind of auto-generating memes, I think is kind of funny. Oh, that's a good um, one, yeah. Which has been, you know, entertaining to say the least. <laughs> uh, some of the auto-generation projects that have been done, like the naming the colors of paint uh, was pretty entertaining. You know, just... The way that you train something and what it thinks about or, or what it comes out with based on what you gave it, you know, there's always the rule of garbage in, garbage out, but sometimes the garbage out is pretty interesting. So that's, that's, that's been kind of the fun part, I think, in the AI space. There's a lot of, there's a lot of fun parlor tricks and a lot of fun kind of cool things to wow you that there's a lot of shinies out there right now. And those are fun to look at, you know, because they're funny and we like entertainment. We do like entertainment. Certainly AI is going to have a strong role in that as well as practical uh, enterprise applications and such. We'll, we'll talk more about all of this in a future episode. But for now, I just want to thank both of you, too. I'll, I guess I'll see you at work tomorrow or whenever <laughs> listeners listen to this. It's probably the next day we'll all be at work together. But thank you very much for joining today. All right. Thanks, Jay. Thanks. Thanks.
Thanks for listening to the Austin Forum Upload. You can listen to additional episodes and check out a schedule of our monthly in-person events at austinforum.org. The Upload is a production of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society, a nonprofit organization here in Austin, Texas.